Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 16 to 25. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. May your word live in us. And bear much fruit to your glory. Friends, uh, let me pray for us as we approach uh, hearing God's word. Uh, Our gracious Lord, please help us to know your kindness, your closeness, your power this morning. And please may these words from the book of Numbers resonate loudly in our hearts and minds uh, for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, this week we've been asking questions about leadership in the Pentateuch. We've spoken of leaders being guardians of grace on Tuesday. And yesterday we've spoken of leaders being heroes of holiness. Today we're learning about leadership from the book of Numbers. It's easy when you first become a Christian to receive ministry. You turn up to church, you listen to a sermon, you appreciate the musician's work in helping you praise God. You're a receiver and there's nothing wrong with that. But in time, after you've been in church a while, after you've been a Christian for a longer period, you realise that 
ministry is not just about receiving but also giving. And so you take up responsibilities to serve yourself. You might yourself read the scriptures, play in a band, lead a small group or youth group or children's ministry. That's certainly a sign of maturity in the faith, not just receiving but giving, having a servant's heart like the Lord himself. But there is another dimension to ministry. It's not just receiving or giving. Ministry also involves multiplication. Not just doing ministry, but making sure the people you're doing ministry amongst themselves are empowered, trained, encouraged, nurtured to do ministry. Yes, we as leaders are guardians of grace and we're heroes of holiness, but we must also be multipliers of ministry. The next step for many of us at Ridley is to think in these terms. So I have one basic challenge this morning. If you're not training others, why not? Now, in Numbers chapter uh, 10, the people of God have finally broken camp, have left Sinai. They turned up in Sinai at Exodus 19 for the remainder of the book of Exodus, all the book of Leviticus, and now the first 10 chapters of Numbers, they have been being trained for the next part of their journey towards the promised land. And in uh, Numbers 10, 11, if you've got a Bible there, uh, follow with me, we read, In the second year, you can almost feel the weight of the period of waiting. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. It's been a long preparation period Finally, they're on their way towards the promised land. And almost the first thing we discover in Numbers 11 is that there's a crisis for the leaders. Not surprisingly, bringing this people through to the promised land is going to involve lots of extraordinary uh, threats, challenges and needs. The people in Chapter 11 complain about their misfortunes, 11 verse 1. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So there was God chastising his people, but only some of them. But in the meantime, we learn in verse 4 that a whole lot other group of God's people in my version described as the rabble, uh, complained because they weren't getting what they thought was their due in terms of food. The rabble that was among them had a strong craving and they wept. They said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlics. They're not actually remembering here their slavery to Pharaoh. They're just thinking of how great garlic was. And with exaggeration in verse 6, they say, but now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. No, actually, 
they were eating it, right? They're kind of catastrophizing. They're kind of stirring up the rest of the people with exaggerated claims. The people were ungrateful. And, of course, ingratitude is endemic to the human race. According to Romans 121, ingratitude is at the heart of what it means to be a sinner. Listen to Romans 121. Although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. A very physical, material problem arises. They don't like the taste of the manna anymore, which leads to a spiritual leadership crisis. Now, we ought to pause here because Australians have very high standards when it comes to food and we easily are ungrateful. We have to check ourselves, be careful. Friends of mine were missionaries in Argentina and they worked in a church in the favela, in the, in the slum, and they provided a meal after church every Sunday. And for most of the folk who came, it was the only substantial meal that they'd eaten all week. They'd come home to St Jude's and report back every few years on their mission, on their mission in Argentina. And they said every time they came back, people in Australia were more and more obsessed by food. Not only at church can we do nothing without adding food to it, but they said they'd noticed as they were away that we started having not just restaurants that you could visit, but food competitions on TV and video series and books. And the whole kind of attitude towards food by Australians was kind of rising and rising such that this had become a national idol. So it was in their estimation. It's funny, isn't it, that the more we have, the more ungrateful we can be. I remember being on a train from Corinth to Athens. It was crowded. It was a hot summer's day. And a Greek Orthodox priest was in the, in the corridor with me. And he got out his single Mandarin and he shared each of the pieces of the Mandarin with anyone who was around him. And I don't think I've ever been so grateful for such a morsel before. Friends, let's practice gratitude in the way we think about our daily needs. But it's still a spiritual crisis for Moses who has to manage this. So Moses, in verse 10, Here's the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. This is not just a few discontents or the rabble. Now this has become a widespread spiritual issue. People are complaining not just about their lack of tasty food, but now Moses' leadership is coming under question as well. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Moses was displeased. So Moses goes into a sulk. And praise to the Lord. And it's extraordinary how many times in this prayer the word I 
or me is used. Moses becomes extraordinarily self-focused, perhaps not surprisingly in the leadership crisis, we lick our wounds. Verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favour in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? Well, actually, it was the Lord who was providing them the quails, right? Uh, For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. Uh, Jill Firth often used this phrase. Now I've discovered where she gets it from. Uh, Moses says, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favour in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses is feeling the pressure and he might be a little self-indulgent here, but he's certainly justifiably lonely in his leadership. There are so many pressures on leaders today in the church as well, of course, as in society more generally. But in the church, leaders face complaints every day of the week. There are so many burdens of compliance that the denomination or the government places on us. There's complexity in working out how to lead this people in a nation like Australia where there's so much antipathy towards Christians. Leaders have to multitask. They have responsibilities in finance, in technology, in pastoral care, in education, in administration, in maintenance, in putting out the bins. When I did my first curacy, I didn't realise that putting out the bins was the curate's job. I had to upskill quite significantly to, to manage that weekly task. There's so many pressures on leaders. So even though Moses might here be a little self-indulgent and perhaps himself exaggerates the problems facing him, I kind of get it. He needed peer support. He needed a team to minister with. And, in fact, that's a significant part of what you're doing at Ridley, right? You're doing classes. You're learning academic lessons. But at least part of what you're doing at Ridley is learning to prize and to develop a peer support network. Formation at Ridley is not just coming to chapel. It's making friends, sometimes platonic and sometimes not. We need to develop our sense that at Ridley we're in this together. We need each other because the pressures of leadership are so great. So Moses is advised by the Lord to develop a group of 70 elders who would be his peer support, who would be with him in the task ahead, a big task as he leads the people into the promised land. Moses had already uh, discovered this lesson way back in Exodus 18 
where he was feeling so burdened by the work he had to do each day in judging the people and settling disputes that his father-in-law Jethro says to him, well, I think you need some elders with you. And, and Moses appointed them. In fact, we see in chapter 11, verse 16 here, that there are, are already elders in Israel. That's not the point. The Lord says, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. There were already elders. It's just they didn't have this certain level of spiritual responsibility. The Lord says, bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you and I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. How wonderful that the Lord sees the pressures that Moses is under and gives to him 70 others who might not just share the burden but share the spirit. The Lord is advising Moses to multiply the leadership for his own spiritual good. There's a plurality of leaders and they have power from the Lord to do their task. Uh, Moses explains why the spiritual issue is so pressing in verses 18 to 20. The people have been demanding food. They will get enough as it turns out and in they'll get what they want. They'll get too much and become fully sick of it as a way that the Lord builds the reaping and sowing of moral life into the people, into the nation. Moses starts out with a physical, material issue, how the people are going to manage their food, but it becomes a spiritual leadership issue very quickly. Indeed, we learn in verses 24 and 25 that when Moses goes out and tells the people the words of the Lord, how this physical, spiritual crisis is going to be managed. He gathers those 70 uh, men of the elders together, places them around the tent, around the Lord's presence, highlighting their spiritual responsibilities. Verse 25, the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they didn't continue doing it. It was a temporary gifting. They're prophesying, probably not frenzied speech like sometimes in Samuel or Kings. These are men being ordered around the tabernacle. It's unlikely that in such an ordered situation their language would be frenzied. But whatever that was in their prophesying, they had new capacity to speak God's words. They were being given a ministry of the word. They were learning how to lead God's people by speaking God's words to God's people. Their, their 
responsibility is not merely to receive ministry or to give ministry, but to actually teach that others might be trained as well. However, we read on in verse 26, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them, so they haven't lined up around the Holy of Holies. They were among those registered, so they were entitled to be uh, spiritual elders, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord, Moses, stop them. They're doing this in a way that's not controlled. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The spirit is overflowing the boundaries. And Moses speaks wisely and says, no, if they're not working against me, they're for me, which is, of course, the language that Jesus himself uses in Luke 9.49. Now, let them be. God's at work. Our job is not to constrain them. Our job is, in a sense, to release them, to celebrate where we see God at work even if it's in strange or unpredictable places. I've been listening, as many of you have, to the podcast The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill about uh, Mark Driscoll's ministry in Seattle. And, of course, it's devastating in the way it describes uh, abusive structures in the church and abusive relationships. But what has been at least a little refreshing in the course of that podcast is the way that certain folk have spoken of the way God ministered to them despite the sins and the evils around them. There's a sense in which God can do his work in ways or in places that are surprising. There's the old proverb, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. God can do things even if he's using imperfect people, even if it's not looking like it's very organised or very structured. Moses has seen the fact that God wants to multiply ministry. Moses has not just seen God do it, but now he's realising how great it is that it's not just him who's doing the work, but that others with him in ways that Moses can't quite predict. He longs for the day when God's spirit would be poured out and all of God's people would prophesy, which, of course, Joel in chapter 2 himself picks up and longs for the day when the spirit's poured out, when the end of the world comes, and which... Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preaches about. For on the day of Pentecost, God's spirit was poured out and men and women and young and old and all kinds of classes spoke God's words. Timely words, prophesying words, a ministry of the word. 
I pray often and heartily that my ministry would be multiplied, that I would train others, teach others to have a ministry of the word as well. And I think sometimes if I died today, I could be happy because one fellow I led to Christ, Ben Farlett, now runs the ministry training strategy in Sydney and he's got a frontline job multiplying ministries. I'm so thankful for what he does and yearn that we ourselves would learn that lesson of multiplication as well. You might well be hungry for growth at Ridley, but don't let your hunger for growth distract you from your responsibility to feed others. Please don't let your base appetites get in the way of a vision for gospel multiplication in Melbourne and beyond. Pray not just that the youth group would go well on Friday night, that you have enough pizza to go around, but pray that these kids in youth group would themselves be the aroma of Christ in their schools. Pray with endpoints in mind with purpose clauses that, that this ministry is in your mind and heart linked to the greater multiplication purposes of the Lord. Please begin praying already for people you can invite to the Ridley Open days. Please, Lord, may each student at Ridley mentor five people that their own learnings might be passed on to empower others. Moses' vision wasn't just to get through this crisis, but to bring people to the promised land. Friends, our Ridley training is not merely to serve your heart. And in a sense, it's not merely just so that you can teach others. Ridley training is designed so that you might multiply ministries for the sake of Christ and the good of his church. For we're guardians of grace and heroes of holiness. But the lesson of this chapter from Numbers is that we're multipliers of ministry as well. For we're reminded of Paul's instructions to Timothy what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. For Christ's sake. Amen.